Well, we want to welcome you again today for being here on uh, Resurrection Sunday. This is a special day, isn't it? This is a special day for our faith. This is a special day for us that believe in Jesus, who not was just a good teacher and a good prophet and a good man, a good moral man with a good moral compass and all the other good things that he did, but the difference with him is that he died and he rose. And that's what's so amazing about this day is that we are celebrating today, this Sunday, that makes our faith, if you, and even if you have to use the word religion, because I really don't like the word religion because it's so overly used and misapplied, but our religion is different than any other in the world because our Savior lives. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Do you believe it this morning? Is he risen in your heart and life today? And that's one thing that I love about Resurrection Sunday is because it is the difference maker. The power of his resurrection is the difference maker. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we have no foundation for our what? Our hope. Our hope. Our hope is because Christ is alive. Because we're just not trusting and, and hoping in his good words. We're just not trusting and hoping in the fact that Jesus healed people when he walked this earth. We're just not trusting and, and spending our time hoping in him because he was a good teacher and he, was good, he, could, he could speak a lot of good parables. No, our hope is only because the tomb is empty this morning. The greatest gift given to all mankind is the empty tomb. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the tomb that was occupied that was occupied, it's important that we recognize that the tomb was occupied, that Jesus did die. And he did go through the pain and the suffering of that terrible experience of payment for our sin. But the tomb is empty today. And because of that, we have hope. Let's read about it in the Gospel of John. This is in the Living Bible Translation, and you'll notice here that in the, New Liberal, in the Living Bible Translation, the writer is John, and he identifies himself as the writer, as you'll see in this passage. Let's read this together. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone was rolled aside from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and me and said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have put him. We ran to the tomb to see. I outran Peter and got there first. And stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but I didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went on inside. He also noticed the cloth lying there, while the swath that had covered Jesus' head was rolled up in a bundle and was lying at the side. Then I went in too and saw and believed that he had risen. For until then, we hadn't realized that the Scripture said he would come to life again. Let's just take a minute and let's just pray. Father, as we read this passage and we, get the, we have the historical account of what happened that day, Lord, we just can't quite grasp maybe what these disciples were feeling and Mary and the others that were following Jesus that those two or three days prior to this time. Lord, their hope was gone because at the set, they didn't realize that the scriptures really would say that he would rise again. And so they were confused. Thank you for rising again, and thank you for giving us that hope. And I pray that this morning we would hear and we would learn more about the blessed hope that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, we don't normally associate Easter with gift-giving like we do Christmas. Christmas is normally a time that we give gifts and that we celebrate the birthday of Christ, and birthdays are gift days. It's interesting that birthdays are that. Think about it for a minute. Why do we give a gift to someone that was just born that didn't do anything to deserve the gift? (laughs) I mean, they just arrived, right? I mean, they had no say in the matter. (laughs) They just popped out. And all of a sudden, they're there, and we're giving birthday gifts to that birthday child. But the thing about Easter is that makes it so different is that the person that we're celebrating being Jesus, he's the one giving us the gifts in Easter. So Christmas, we give him the gift, and we give each other gifts at Christmas time. But the beautiful thing about Easter is that the gift of Easter is Jesus giving himself back to us in the form of the empty tomb. Because if the tomb was still occupied, we wouldn't have anything to celebrate. If the tomb was still occupied by Jesus' dead body, because his body was dead, understand that. There are many in that day, and even maybe even today, that don't really believe that Jesus really died. Therefore, when he was seen by more than 500 people at a time after his death and resurrection, some would say, well, he didn't really die. No, let me tell you, the fact is he really died. And he went down into the, into the bowels of the earth, and he went down and he saw Satan face to face, and he took back from Satan in that day or two while he was down there, and he took back the keys of death. He took back the keys that mankind had given to Satan back in the Garden of Eden when man sinned. They literally gave Satan the keys to life and death because they willingly took the bite of the apple or the fruit. And that sin then created that that separation and man gave over to Satan the right for them to die. Does that make sense? Do we understand that? That's important we understand that because when Jesus died and he went down into into Hades, he went down into the bowels of the earth, he went down and he conquered death and he took the keys back from Satan. And when he brought them back to the tomb, he he brought the keys with him, the keys to life, and he conquered death. So the tomb was occupied and now it's empty. And the gifts of Easter now begin with the empty tomb. What are these gifts? The gift of hope. And promise. These are some of the gifts that Jesus gave us that day, beginning with the gift of hope and the gift of promise because there's a better day coming. The gift that everything Jesus spoke was truth. Everything that's recorded in the scripture that Jesus spoke or what's in the Bible is the absolute truth of God's word and you can bank on it. You can take it and you can count on it. You can make that your foundation because it's absolutely true. Another gift is that he gave us the victory over the sting of death. Man, that is amazing. We will perish. Our flesh, these bodies that we live in, They will die, but there's a time, there's a day coming when our soul, our bodies will be resurrected and we will be like Christ. He's given us the victory over death. The sting of death is no more. And then he's given us the gift of life, the gift of life that keeps on giving. It's like that Energizer Bunny commercial. 
You know, this is that it just, God, Christ gives us life, and the life that he gives us isn't just a one-day event. It's every day. We have the power, we have the authority, and we have the hope and the promise of life forever because of the gifts of Easter. That's what Christ did for us that day. That's really what he did for us. And so for us to really understand Easter, we need to really understand more about the need of our sins to be forgiven. And to do that, we need to talk about some Old Testament a little bit. We need to talk about what happened. How did God make the plan of atonement for sin? See, sin is, understand, sin is such a serious transgression. What's a transgression? Somebody define, what does a transgression mean? It's a missing of the mark. It is something that we've done wrong. We've missed it. We've We've gone the wrong direction. It's such a serious missing the mark that it separates us, mankind, from God. Sin is such a serious transgression that it separates mankind. And because God is a holy God, and God cannot have relationship with anyone that isn't holy as he is. We've been talking about holiness for a number of weeks here in our church, talking about the importance of holiness. Because God is holy, he cannot have relationship with anything or anyone that isn't holy. See, Satan understood that. That's why he worked so hard. Imagine this. The Garden of Eden was a perfect environment. It was perfect in every way. It was clearly utopia. There was nothing that they wanted, nothing that was wrong. The temperature was perfect. The food was perfect. Everything was awesome. There was no stress. There was no strain. There was no, uh, no issues at all in their life. Satan had the ability, and he worked so hard in that perfect environment to convince Adam and Eve that God had more and was holding out on them. And that's why God said, don't eat from this tree, because if you eat from this tree, you will have, you'll be truly like me. You'll be like God. And so Satan worked really hard to convince Adam and Eve that God had more. And Satan recognized that, that Adam and Eve were holy, they were walking with God face-to-face in the garden, and they were having pure communication and pure relationship with God, and Satan didn't like that. He didn't like that because he used to have that. Recognize that Satan, when he was prior to his fall, he was Lucifer, he was one of the archangels in heaven, and he had that relationship with God, but because of pride that entered Satan's heart, that was the first sin, pride. God had to remove him, cast him from heaven, He cast him to the earth, and now Satan is taking out all his anger, all his frustration, all of his his evilness on the thing that God loves the most, and that is us, his creation. So Satan realized that he had to do something to break the holiness that Adam and Eve had. So he convinced them to sin, go against God, and with that then, they broke the relationship. That's why God had to have a plan put in place to somehow restore the holiness, somehow restore the relationship that man once had. And that brings in Hebrews. That brings in the Old Testament system. And I, there's a lot here to read, but let's just read this because this is how, this is how God, the, the plan God put in place and this time to give man a relationship with God again because God had to, bring, he had to clear the sin. He had to get rid of that transgression of sin. 
So let's read this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse, starting at verse 1. The old system of Jewish laws gave only a dim foretaste of the good things Christ would do for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year, but even so, they could never save those who lived under their rules. If they could have, one offering would have been enough. The worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, and their feeling of guilt would be gone. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their disobedience and guilt instead of relieving their minds. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats really to take away sins. That is why Christ said he came into the world. O God, the blood of bulls and goats cannot satisfy you, so you have made me ready this so you have made ready this body of mine for me to lay as a sacrifice upon your altar. You are not satisfied with the animal sacrifices slain and burnt before you as offerings for sin. Then I said, See, I have come to do your will, to lay down my life, just as the scriptures said that I would. After Christ said this about not being satisfied with the various sacrifices and offerings required under the old system, he then added, here I am. I have come to give my life. Now let's just pause here for a minute and just realize what this just said. We said a lot of words. God gave man a sacrificial system using the blood of bulls and goats and many other animals for multiple sacrifices that they had to atone every day or every many throughout the year than one at the Holy of Holies where the, the priest would actually come into the Holy of Holies and do the, the sacrifice for sin. But all these sacrifices were, were a temporary relief, a temporary covering of the guilt of sin. And even if a person could live perfectly according to the Old Testament law, they still would need to have a blood sacrifice of some type to forgive them of the of their sin for that yearly event, for the yearly um, sacrifices. It wasn't enough to remove sin forever, or once and for all, just from the blood of an animal. In fact, the sacrifices were never enough. They just became more reminders that they had sin. And they, become, they became more of a reminder of their sinful state rather than uh, their redeemed state. For it was impossible for, for mankind to, re, to be redeemed by the blood of the animal. That's why verse 5 says, verse 5 says that that is why Christ said as he came into the world, because the blood of the bulls could not and would not forgive sin. If they did, if they could have, then why would Jesus come? If the blood of a bull or an animal would have forgiven the sin, then why did Jesus have to die? I think it's so significant here that Jesus understood his identity and his, he understood his role in life. That is so refreshing to me today. When we have such a confusion in the world of identity, do you see the enemy working, confusing the identity of people today? Do you see it more and more that people are confused with who they are? They're confused because they have same-sex attractions. They're confused because they don't know if they're a boy or a girl. I mean, the confusion is rampant and it's getting more and more and it's happening faster and faster. Jesus understood who he was and he understood what his purpose was. And that's so important for us to grasp the fact that we also need to understand who we are. We are not a product of our feelings. 
And this is where people get confused. They feel they have same-sex attractions, or they feel that they don't, they, they come with a boy's body, but they feel like they're a girl. It's their feelings, and their feelings do not make up your identity. Your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone because we are created in what? We're created in the image of God. Our creation, our identity is in how we're created. We're created in the image of God, and God is not confused. Jesus is not confused who he is. He knew exactly what his role was, and he knew exactly what his purpose was, and the enemy gets in, and he's the one that brings confusion. And so we, what our options are, when we know who we are in Christ, then I have feelings of whatever my feelings are to sin, and I take those under my control. And I say, no, I, I have a desire to slander. I have a desire to gossip. I have a desire to steal. I have a desire same-sex attraction. It's the same kind of sin, and for some reason, we've put that same-sex attraction sin into a different category than any other sin, and the problem is, it's not that one sin's worse than the other. The problem is we're confused in our identity, and our identity is in Christ because we're created in the image of God. And if I could get my, if I could get that straight, then all these other optional things wouldn't be confusing to me because I could see that to be no different than any other sin. And I would say, no, I have to take control of that. We're to take every thought captive. We are in charge of our mind. We are in charge of our, of our feelings. We are in charge of our actions and our reactions towards them. They do not create our identity. That is so important that we understand that. That's the cause of the result of the confusion in this world. And that's why we have such a problem today in our government, in our political systems, and in our social systems because people are not, they're not putting their identity in their creator. They're putting their identity in their feelings. And you put your identity in your feelings and you will get messed up. It's proven over and over. Jesus understood his identity. In a world that is so messed up when it comes to identity, it is so wonderful that we see Jesus being a perfect example of one that knows and accepts his identity. Amen. Jesus is the example. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7 and 9. Then I said, see, I have come to do your will, to lay down my life just as the scripture said that I would. Jesus has no confusion. Then He then added, here I am. I have I have come to give up my life. Jesus is that example for us. That we can be uh, following him and our identity can be just as solid in him. So important. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 through 14. He, Jesus, cancels, he is Jesus, cancels the first system in favor of a far better one. Under this new plan, we have been forgiven and made clean by Christ dying for us once and for all. That's really important. We'll come back to that in a minute. Under the old agreement, the priest stood before the altar day after day offering sacrifices that could never take away our sins. But Christ gave himself to God for our sins as one sacrifice for all time and then sat down in the place of highest honor at God's right hand, waiting for his enemies to be laid under his feet. For by that one offering, he made forever perfect 
in the sight of God all those whom he is making holy. Promise there. Christ made us clean. Do you remember last week we talked about foot washing? And and the foot washing ceremony uh, that Jesus had with his disciples at the um, night that he was betrayed. Jesus said, I need to wash your feet. And Peter said, no, you don't need to wash my feet. Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have no part of me. And then Peter said, well, if that's the case, then wash my head, my hands, and all of me. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you're already clean. Why is he already clean? Because Jesus makes him clean by the dying. And Jesus was speaking proactively here. He was speaking in advance. Now, at that time, Jesus hadn't died yet. But he was speaking prophetically to Peter, saying, Peter, you're already clean because I've forgiven you. And that's the thing that we need to recognize as well, that under the new plan, we have been forgiven and made clean by Christ dying for us once and for all. That the yearly sacrifices of the, of the um, priest weren't enough. And they didn't do the job. If we skip down a few, few more verses in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, it says, And then he adds, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. This is Jesus speaking. Now when sins have been once forgiven and forgotten, there is no need to offer more sacrifices to get rid of them. That's why we just need to wash our feet to stay clean. We need to continue to live in a holy washing our feet of the sin of this world and the the dirt of this world because the sacrifice was made. Jesus completed the deal for us. Does that make sense? Are, Are we hearing that okay this morning? Are we okay with that? That Jesus forgives and that when he forgives, he forgets. And it's not that he can't remember. It's, this is the really important thing about this, that when he forgives and forgets, he's not like the absent-minded professor that might remember it someday. No, he purposely forgets about it so that he never brings it up to you again. He doesn't say, oh, wait, I, mm, yeah, now I remember. You sinned and you transgressed against me. I'm going to hold it against you again. No, he doesn't do it that way. When he forgives you, he forgets the sin, and that's what makes you clean, is that now you, your, your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, and they never come back to you again. They never come back, and he never brings skeletons out of the closet. Amen. So let's speak about some of these gifts of Easter. The gift of Easter is the empty tomb, and that's the power of death being swallowed in the power of life. The power of death is overtaken by the power of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 55. When this happens, this is the importance of the resurrection. When this happens, then at last this scripture will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where then your victory? Where then your sting? For sin, the sting that causes death, will all be gone, and the law which reveals our sins will no longer be our judge. How we thank God for all of this. It is he who makes us victorious through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then verse verse 58. So my dear brothers, since future victory is sure, be strong and steady, always abounding in the Lord's work. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever wasted as it would be if there were no resurrection. Do you see that? If the tomb was still occupied, then we're wasting our time. If the tomb 
was still occupied, we might as well go home and do something else. But thank the Lord that the tomb is empty. And I want to say the next few things that, that, are, that go right along with the empty tomb. And I love to talk about this in this Easter season because this is something that is so powerful for us. It's so powerful that, that I don't know that we quite often think about it, what happened, because the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about it. Prior to Jesus being placed in the tomb, while he was still on the cross, Matthew 27 Jesus is on the cross. He's not, he has not yet died. And his last words are this. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. We'll talk about that in a minute too. He gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. And then a lot of other things happened. It was truly an amazing thing happened when Jesus gave up his life. Everything changed. Now imagine this, the temple. The temple was the place where the animal sacrifices were given on a yearly basis. This is where the, the priests went in, and they, this is in the Holy of Holies that was so holy that only one time a year could a man go into that Holy of Holies and perform the sacrifices for the people. It was so holy that if the priest wasn't perfect, if he hadn't atoned for himself before going in, if he would have gone into that Holy of Holies with any sin in his life, God would have stricken him dead. It could go in, but one time of the year, the priest could go in to offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people. Verse 50 and 51. When, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay, now this veil separated the Holy of Holies. This signified that man was separated by God by his sin. And this veil was 60 feet tall at about four inches thick. It was thicker than this Bible. And this is what happened. God literally took the veil. He just literally ripped it in half and it opened up the Holy of Holies. And everything inside was exposed. What that means for you and I today is that we have access to the Holy of Holies through the body of Christ. It's through Jesus. The veil was symbolic of Christ himself as the only way to the Father. The veil is symbolic. The only way to, into the presence of God was through the veil of the Holy of Holies. And that was given to only one man one time of the year. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way for us through the curtain that is his body. So do we see the significance now of the death of Christ? When he said it was finished, God said, yep, I agree, tore the curtain, and now you and I have access to the throne room of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the rest of our life through the power of Jesus Christ. That's the power. The fact that the sin offering was offered annually and, and all the other sacrifices were repeated daily graphically shows that sin could not truly be atoned for 
other than through the blood of Christ. And now when that happened, God rips the veil. He rips the curtain open and says, okay, guys, come on in. It's for you. It's for me. And that gives us, that leads up to the gift of the empty tomb is so much more. Everything up to this time is leading up to the ultimate climax of the best gift ever. Because all of Jesus' life, his virgin birth, his perfect sinless, sinless life, his great teaching, his miracles, even a willing death on the cross. See, all of this stuff could have been claimed by somebody else. Another leader said, I, they could have said, I was born of a virgin. They could have claimed that, and they did. There were people, other people that did claim to be Christ and that they lived a good life and that they were great teachers and they, they did miracles. I mean, Satan can counterfeit God's miracles. There were miracles that were done by false teachers, by false prophets. Even some of them died. But see, the thing is, Jesus willingly died, and that's the key. The key here is that Jesus willingly died for us. He says in Matthew, Do you not think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12, log- 12 legions of angels? This was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Do you guys not know that I'm doing this willingly for you? I- I'm doing this. You're not taking me away. I'm willingly giving myself to you. And then again in John chapter 10, 17 and 18, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Amen. No man took Jesus' life. No man killed him. That's why we are to give our life to him willingly. Because he gave up his life for us, we are to take up our cross for him. He gave us life so that we can give him back our life willingly. That's the key. That's the key that I'm not forced into it. This is not a legalistic way to the cross. Because Jesus gave up his life as a perfect example for me, I am to now willingly take up my cross and offer my life back to Christ. It's an act of holiness. It's an act of love. It's an act of relationship. See, up to this point in time, all of these things are awesome. Everything Jesus did, all the miracles, everything he did, but the thing that makes Jesus different, the thing that makes Jesus everything he says he is, different from every, every other prophet and every other teacher, something worth our living and dying for, what makes him that is this, the empty tomb. Because he could take his life back up again. And he could empty the tomb. That's the gift that you and I have today. That's what we're celebrating on Easter. That's what we're celebrating for on this Resurrection Sunday is the fact that the tomb is not occupied anymore. And Jesus is the only man that can not just claim that, but can be historically proven that he lived again, and he still lives today. And that's what makes him so very different from any other teacher, any other prophet, any other religion, is that the tomb is empty. And that is truly the gift of the empty tomb. And what's more is that someday our tomb will be empty. Someday our tomb 
will be empty, and we will be like him. Romans 6, 40-5, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. The if is the biggest word in that sentence because not everybody in this world will be united with him. Not everybody's, well, let me say this, everybody's tomb will be empty, but it's where are they going? (laughs) Where are they ending up? Everybody's tomb, because everybody will resurrect at the end for a final judgment, but the final judgment of the Christian because of the word if, for if we have been united with him in death, in other words, if we have received Jesus Christ as our Savior, and then make him our Lord, then our bodies will certainly rise again and be like his. And our tomb will be empty like his tomb is empty. That is the gift of eternal life. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. For we, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Jackie, would you, would you come and we'll start concluding this? This is the most important gift is the fact that we have the hope and the promise of our tomb one day being empty just like his was. And not just that, but our bodies will be like his body and that we will live with him forever and ever. That's the gift. It's free. It's a free gift. Do you know that? It's a free gift. It's for every person. It's for every man. It's for every child. It's for every woman. It's a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. All we have to do is ask Jesus into our life and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I I see what you did in the cross that day. I see the significance of it. I see now why you had to die for me because there had to be a penalty paid for my sin. And it wasn't just the blood of a bull. It had to be the blood of a human, a perfect human. And the only one that qualified for that was you because of your virgin birth and because of your perfect sinless life and because of the call, the identity that you had. And because you willingly gave up your life for me, I'm going to ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I'm going to ask you to take residence in my heart. And I'm going to ask you to change me from the inside out. I'm going to ask you to make me a new person. Give me new desires. Give me a new heart. Give me a life that wants to give my life back to you. Change me, Jesus. Change me. Give me that promise and that hope. That's what we have to do. The question is, have you done it? Have you done it? Have you asked Jesus into your life? And are you living for him on a day-to-day basis? You see, it's a free gift. But after you receive it, it's going to take everything you have to live it. Because Jesus died. And he's asking us to die to ourselves so that we can live with him. It's a great trade, folks. It's a great trade. I mean, don't feel like you're getting the end of the stick here. You're, You're getting the best part of it. Because we're giving up ourself, which is doomed to die. 
with the promise of having a body like his, a resurrected body like his. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Father, I am so thankful that you asked Jesus to take our place. And Jesus, I thank you for being willing to take our place. And Holy Spirit, I thank you for, Je- for giving Jesus the ability to do it. That the, the cooperation of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming together gives me an opportunity to receive eternal life. Holy Spirit, now I ask that you do what only you can do now. That you go into the heart of every person that is hearing this message today. And that you bring a level of assurance that either, yes, I am saved, yes, I am part of the family of God and I have been adopted, or maybe you give us a conviction that maybe we need to get saved, that maybe we need to take the step of asking for forgiveness. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to do your work here this morning. Now with your eyes closed and your head bowed and you're you're just thinking about this message, thinking about what Jesus did for us, what he did for you personally, do you see the significance of what this means for your life? Do you see the eternal significance of this decision? This is not a temporary thing. These kind of decisions are eternal. These kind of decisions are the most important decisions that we have to make. Because depending on how I receive this determines what my tomorrow is going to be like. So I just want to challenge us this morning. Whether you're a regular attender here or a visitor, I don't know your life, but I'm asking the question, Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? Do you want to have that relationship with Him? So this morning, I just want to ask the question, and then you can answer it. If you have this relationship, celebrate it. Thank Him for it. Dance before Him and just be... Be thrilled with the eternal hope that you have. If you want that relationship and haven't asked Jesus to do this yet, or maybe you have before and you want to renew it, I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand up to him and acknowledge to him that you want that relationship, that you want it renewed, that you want to just say, Jesus, I want that relationship with you. I'm just asking you to raise your hand to the Lord and be honest to him. I see the hands. That's good. I see the hands. That's good. Just be honest before him. It may be just a renewal of your vows. It may be just saying, Jesus, I, I recognize it and I see it again today. So I'm washing my feet. I'm just washing my feet. I want the sin of this world to wash off me. And I allow the blood of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just to do the work in my life. Amen. Thank you for being honest today. Thank you for, for examining your heart. Father, I just thank you for all of your work today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just do a mighty work in the lives of your people today. Thank you for Resurrection Sunday. 
thank you for what this Sunday means to us. And I pray, Lord, that it would be so meaningful that we would just think about this again and again and again. We love you. We thank you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Enjoy the day today. Just go out and celebrate Jesus. Celebrate your life today and enjoy what he has because he has great things in store. Amen. Thank you for being here. Be blessed. Be blessed in Jesus' name.